0: So we are continuing our series this morning, Waging Peace. We are once again coming to this parable of the Good Samaritan. Last week, Pastor Dan helped us to consider what living out our calling as peacemakers in this world, uh, that it involves first seeing. We must begin here because it's easy to see but not notice. It's easy to see and not be moved with compassion. And Dan pointed out that the f- first the priest and then also the Levite saw the man in the ditch who had been beaten and robbed and stripped and left for dead. They saw him, but they did not go to him. By contrast, the Samaritan, the despised, unlikely hero, did the opposite. He not only saw him, but he considered him as a fellow human, a child of God, he noticed. Today, we're going to closely examine his actions for clues to how we might follow Jesus in this this parable, which we have called Jesus' master class on waging peace. So remember, I've been talking about these hands. The fact that they are dirty, and we chose this picture on purpose because the hands are dirty, and today we're going to more fully understand what this means. To get one's hands dirty is to engage, not only to see compassionately, but then do something, to be willing to immerse oneself into the messiness of humanity, the ditch, if you will, of brokenness, or sin that will present itself to those who are willing to wage peace. So notice, first of all, in this parable, there are actually close similarities between the actions of the robber, the priest, and the Levites. We don't actually usually group the robber with the priest and the Levite together, but these three actually have something in common. And Kenneth Bailey, a biblical scholar, Kenneth Bailey, talks about it this way, that all of these can be described by the verbs come, do, and go. The robbers come to the man, robbed him, do, and leave him in the ditch, go. The priest comes to the man, sees him, do, and leaves him, go. The Levite comes to the man, sees him, do, and leaves, go. It's a pattern. Come, do, go. The point here is that all those who did evil and those who ignored the evil all follow the same pattern and are therefore complicit in what happened that day. Those who did the evil, And then those who ignored the evil, they all come, do, and go. But then comes this next person, the Samaritan. And the Samaritan breaks the pattern. The Samaritan does not leave. And from that point on, each line of the story, and there's seven lines of the story from that point on, when he does not leave and in each of those seven lines he did, he performs an action that defies all expectations for this person who would have been hated samaritans were hated by jews and his by his actions he makes up for the inactions of everyone else he actually compensates for their failure in a in a a reverse order of what they did. If you look at those seven actions, it's reversing what they did. It's quite stunning the way the story is put together. Now, another way of looking at this is that the Samaritan, instead of robbing the man, pays for him. Instead of leaving him, dying, leaves him taken care of at the inn instead of abandoning him, he actually promises to return. So again, it's just so opposite of what has happened to him up to that point. In their book, Mending the Divides, authors Huckins and Swigert call this behavior on the the part of the Samaritan. They, They name this behavior with a specific word, and they call it immersion. Last week, we talked about seeing. This week, we're talking about immersion. Which I love the word immersion because it is wonderfully suggestive to those of people like us, all of us, who live in an area like the Puget Sound because we live so close to salt water. Immersion is really an amazing thing. How many of you have ever spent a significant amount of time under the water, especially in salt water? Okay, so not very many. So I'm going to have to describe this to you. Now, I have never gone scuba diving, but as a kid, I spent a lot of time snorkeling. And I will tell you, you cannot fully appreciate the totality of the ocean by viewing it from the shoreline alone or even from a boat. Those who have ventured below the surface are rewarded by a whole new reality. Colors and textures and and complexity and, and just life that is really invisible to surface dwellers. I remember as a kid when I first discovered snorkeling, when our family vacationed in British Columbia, we went up to these places where the water is actually warm in the summer, desolation sound, where the water would get very warm in these coves. And I remember putting on a mask and a snorkel and fins as a, as a kid, and going underwater and just being amazed at what was down there. Not only the fact that there was sea anemones and barnacles and, and uh, oysters and all sorts of fish down there, but it was also the stuff that people dropped off their boats. And it was great. The things you could find, tools and money and all sorts of stuff down there. I was constantly bringing things up. Look what I found. You know, usually really rusty, but, but it was my parents were so nice to say, "Oh, that's wonderful, Johnny. Yeah, that's great." But the, the beauty of what was under the water was just amazing to me. None of this is available for those who stay on the surface. The same is true though of our lives as followers of Jesus. This is an amazing analogy to me. Staying on the surface is a recipe for missing so much in life. Jesus is teaching this in this parable. Just as the priest and the Levite in his parable had good reasons to avoid crossing the road and not touching the victim, we too have reasons that we might call obstacles for immersion. Reasons that we, we don't get involved. And we need to name these, I think. The authors of the book I mentioned, uh, Mending the Divides, they actually do a good job of naming them. First, there's the obstacle of busyness and overcommitment. Notice how many times you hear this response. When you ask somebody how they're doing, how are you today? How often do you hear busy? How often do you hear yourself saying, oh, I'm so busy, when you're asked. Let me say something here. In this series... Pastor Dan and I are not suggesting that you need to add something to your life in order to wage peace in this world. Quite the opposite, actually. Most of us need to seriously consider removing something from our lives. Or seriously restructuring in order to create some margin. There are simple ways to go about this, and some, some of us, we, for some of us, we might just simply look for uh, places in our weekly calendar where we can de-schedule, to leave some open spaces, where we might actually have time to do something as simple as go for a walk in your own neighborhood, just to walk your neighborhood, or, or time before or after work, to stop somewhere and, and talk to people so that you're not rushing to and from the store or rushing the different things you're doing. Without some margin, we may never find time to get beneath the surface with the, li- with the lives of people with whom we live at work or at school. We're too rushed to do that. Immersion is rarely convenient when your life is heavily scheduled efficiency and multitasking can be actually counterproductive to waging peace. Hear me on that. Think about that. So one obstacle is the fact that we're overcommitted, that we are too busy. Another obstacle is our tendency to manage not only our time, but our images. Some of us invest a lot into our personal reputation. Pastor Dan pointed out that the priest was going the same direction as the victim, away from the holy city. I had never noticed that. I have never thought, thought about the fact that the priest was walking away from the city. I'd always thought, well, the priest was needing to stay ceremonially clean so he did not cross the road. When in actuality, he was walking away from the city. He was going down the road away from Jerusalem. So he may not have been on official business, but just thinking about himself and his reputation or the way he appeared. In any case, we see this in the the actions and the inactions of him and the Levite in Jesus' story. They were likely concerned with tainting their reputations, even if they were not concerned with compromising their ritual cleanliness. What would it look like if I'm helping someone who's dead or going to see if this person is dead or alive, or helping them. What's it going to look like? To me, this this hits very close to home. So easy to, to buy into the idea that spending time with those who are hurting, or spending time with those who do not believe, or who live different lifestyles, or perhaps disagree with me on political issues, or whatever it is, that hanging out with them will somehow compromise my faith. We hear this. When in reality, spending time, going deep, immersing into life with them will likely represent the best of faith in Jesus. Do you see the difference? I mean, is this not the way he taught us to live? The way he chose to live? And yes, he risked something to do this. In Jesus' own words in Luke 7.34, he knew that people said about him, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's how people talked about Jesus. And yet he went, deep. He crossed the road. He immersed into people's lives anyway. Jesus was a master at immersion. After all, he's the one who modeled it the best. Theologians call this by the word incarnation. Jesus becoming one of us. We might also call it being willing to immerse in the messiness of life of those who are different or who disagree or who somehow fail or somehow fall into the category of them rather than us. Folks, this is a a huge challenge for followers of Jesus and I don't want to soft pedal this for you, it's hard. But I'm convinced that this, this is something that we really need to confront as followers of Christ. Faith is not something that we are most often called on to defend, preserve, or guard. It's something that Jesus calls us to live, which involves being willing to lay on the altar the way others see us, our reputations, and go deep. I have a friend whose name is Steve, and he lives this out better than just about anybody I know. The list of kids that he has had live in his home. The number of times when Steve has walked into a situation and he immediately sees the person who's hurting and gravitates to that person. Rather than thinking about how he's going to look, he's thinking, I'm here for a reason. He's one of those people Mr. Rogers talked about. He's a helper. I want to be like that. One more obstacle that keeps us from going deep, and the obstacle is simply fear. How often do we avoid immersion because we think about what might happen? We live in a society that is obsessed with safety and security. Yes, I know 9-11 happened. And even here in Marysville, we know all too well the reality of something as simple as sending your kids to school in the morning can carry with it risk. But listen, we cannot let our fears replace our ability to follow Jesus. We are in danger of worshiping an idol when we do that. The idol of safety, security at any cost. What do we know about idols? Merely that worshiping them works for a while. But then, whatever idol it is, it will require more and more of us with ever-diminishing returns. That's how idolatry works. It works for a while, but then it requires more and more of us and it decreases over time in its effectiveness. And this is certainly true when we give in to fear and worship at the altar of security and safety. Our lives of discipleship will become bland and lifeless rather than rich and beautiful. The truth of the matter is that Jesus never called his disciples to be safe. He called them to be faithful. So, this is a lot this morning. It's kind of a wide picture of what it means to immerse as we're following the example of the Samaritan who went across the road, who bandaged the wounds of the, the victim after pouring, pouring oil and wine on him, put him on his own donkey and took him to the inn. All of these are are wonderfully suggestive of what it means to immerse. I'd like to conclude with some practical steps in 2018 for waging peace. And here I'm continuing to borrow heavily from the book I've been talking about, Mending the Divides. Here are some possible things just to prompt your thinking on this. Number one, learn another language. We, in here in Marysville, have so many folks moving from other parts of the world. Huge example right in our midst is all of our family members here from Pakistan. It is possible to learn Urdu. It is. There are ways to go online to learn Urdu Urdu. or Spanish or French. Duolingo is uh, very common on a lot of our phones as an app, and every day will help you learn more and more of a foreign language. We have fantastic language learning programs available that you can do on your own. Rosetta Stone, Pimsleur are two of them. You can, in in your own home, without a teacher, learn another language. And it will help you to interact with those who, where normally there would have been a huge barrier. <clears throat> Another suggestion. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sit on your front porch or in your front yard. We have a beautiful week ahead of us this week. That's going to be in the 60s. I know we're finishing summer, but, you know, get out of your house, be visible, walk on your street, walk in your neighborhood, talk to people. It's so easy to do, you'd be amazed what happens. God uses our willingness, and take, when we take a step like that, uses that to bring us into relationship with people. Walk, walking is such a gift. A third idea, identify in your neighborhood, people who are the others. All of our neighborhoods have this. In our street, on our little street, we have two families who are, uh, they speak English as a second language. Interestingly, both of the fathers in these families were served in the U.S. Navy. So these are people who have been hanging around with Americans for a long time. And yet, I'm aware that some of our neighbors never talk to them because they look different. They are others. Identify who the others are and get to know them. Engage with them. You'd be amazed what happens. Invite a neighbor over to your house for dinner. Or... Here's an idea, join a local sports league or a club and spend time with people in our community. Another idea, I know this, this sounds kind of obvious, but enroll your kids or your grandkids in a local school. A lot of us think that, you know, the schools are dangerous. And yeah, to be honest, everywhere is dangerous these days to a point. But in the schools, we're so much more likely to have the opportunities to go deep with people because that's where they are. The moms, the dads, the kids. I spend time across the street over here every week, just an hour at our local school. And I encourage any any of you to consider doing that either at Cascade or another school. Volunteer in the school and read to kids. It's so easy to do and so much fun. I just have a gas over there across the street. I've been working with kindergarten. I'm I'm still in kindergarten, seventh year. I don't think I'm ever going to get out. But it's so much fun. And the things that happen when I'm over there, the people that I meet, it's amazing. Adults, kids, I make connections with families. We, We could all be doing that. Spend time in a gym. Spend time at Starbucks or any other coffee shop. Go to a pub. (laughs) You know, this is something you probably should know about your pastor. I hang out in a pub. Monday nights. It's It's actually where they play Irish music, and that's what I'm into. But I go to the Irishman pub on Monday nights in Everett. It's amazing the conversations that you have in pubs. They're so different than any other conversations that you'd ever have anywhere else. I don't know. Maybe it's the presence of that great social lubricant. I don't know. But it's... You know, and I sit with these, this group of musicians week after week after week, and they have become some of my closest friends. And none of them are church people. And yet it is, I have this opportunity to go deep with them and to immerse with them. And I'm seeing such amazing life and complexity that would, could only be compared with the kind of thing I saw underwater when I was scuba diving as a kid. It's so much fun to follow Jesus in this way and to to go deep. Jesus, friends, Jesus is going into the world. He is going deep. The question of the day is will we follow him there? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are calling us, always calling us, that you are looking, always looking for your children the same way that you were looking for Adam and Eve in the garden even after they had sinned, especially after they had sinned. Lord, I want to participate with you in what you are doing in this world. Help me, Lord, to to not be like the priest or the religious person in the story But Lord, help me to cross the road, to be willing to immerse in the lives of people in my neighborhood, at the school, at work, Lord, yeah, even in the pub. Lord, help me to be faithful to you in all of those settings, to always be praying. Lord, what are you doing here? And how can I be a part of it? I pray in the name of Jesus who taught us the best how to do that. Amen.